and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome to Soberholic Podcast, everybody. Um, I'm here in Studio C. We have another studio now. We just collect studios. That's what we do here. We like studios. And so if you're looking at something new, it is brand spanking new. Just got done with it today. So excited about that. And we have a guest joining us today. We have Jamie Harper, who is the faith-based coordinator from Middle Tennessee. And so we're going to be, uh, we're, we're very blessed to have him joining us today. We're going to talk about some things that we've never talked about on this podcast before. And so, uh, welcome, Jamie. Um, glad to have you here. Hey, thank you. I'm I'm honored to be here. And so, tell us a little bit about what you do, being the faith based coordinator for Middle Tennessee. What what is that? And just kind of give us an overview of what that is. Well, it's part of a project that is run uh, by the faith based initiatives, the Office of Faith Based Initiatives, through the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, and what we try to do, there are three community coordinators throughout the state of Tennessee, and I'm, I'm the one, obviously, from Middle Tennessee. And what we do is we work with congregations and faith-based organizations to reduce stigma um, for individuals who struggle with substance use disorder and mental health diagnosis. And in doing this, what, what, what we try to do is to go into congregations and to educate them, uh, to allow them to know really what's going on. And to not see the individual as an addict, mm. um, just an addict, but to be able to see them as a soul that's in need. And really, that's everybody. Yeah, yeah. So so instead of looking at, at us, and I say us because I'm an individual in long-term recovery from substance use disorder and mental health diagnosis. Uh, so I can come at it from a couple of different areas here. Um but we really try to educate the congregations and to understand what's really going on and to create a safe environment within the congregations for people to be able to say, Hey, I'm struggling here. I'm hurting. And I mean, I need some help. Yeah, that is incredible. My, my wife made a post on Facebook last week and she asked the question she said, what is, what are some topics in that you would love to see talked about in church that are hardly ever talked about and somebody put on their mental health. And uh, I think that's definitely, I, I think, I think with substance abuse, I think it's come a long way um, in the church in the last 10 or 15 years. It has. I, I think with mental health, I, I still think we have a ways to go. I mean, it's just, just my, my own personal observations. And so how, how hard is it to get a church to buy in to that and to say, hey, yeah, we want you to come in and 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 teach us about this and and you know, um, I mean, is it difficult to kind of get them to to latch on to that? In some areas, it is pretty difficult. Uh, some still have a hard time saying we don't have those people here. Mm. Well, the truth is, yeah, you do. They just <laughs> are afraid to say something because you haven't created the safe environment for it. Um, I've, I've had pastors come up to me and say, I was just let go. And 
because uh, I struggled with depression and they found out about it. Mm. And so that sent them into even a deeper depression and they didn't know what to do with it. And so they reached out to me and said, how, what can I do? And the biggest thing is just to take the taboo off of it. Yeah. And, and just allow people to understand, yeah, there are individuals who are struggling within your numbers and they're just too scared to say something about it. Right. I mean, we all struggle with something. Yeah. And if you go in with the statistics and what the statistics show is that out of a congregation, out of a, of a hundred people, every single one of them are struggling with something. Mm. They just don't have the safe place to talk about it. We're, we're too busy to talking about, uh, my aunt's nephew's cousin's brother-in-law's best <laughs> friend who yeah. stubbed his toe needs prayers because his pinky toes hurting. Yeah. And yeah. so we really don't get to talk about the real things that are going on, the, the emotional struggles, the spiritual struggles. What kind of feedback have you gotten from like, if you go in and do training at a church, do you get a lot of, of positive feedback later on down the line? I usually get positive feedback right then. Right then, yeah. Uh, that's just the way that it goes. The biggest reason why people don't want to say anything uh, or don't want to create the safe environment in their congregation for people to talk about what's really going on is because they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to respond to it. So rather than saying anything, they say nothing. Yeah. yeah. And. So whenever we're able to come in and talk to them about the real issues that actually are going on within our congregations, it's, it's immediate relief. Right. Because we not only talk to them about what's actually going on, but we say, Hey, and, and here's how you work with an individual who is struggling. Yeah. And here's how to find them help. And then they know that they're not just struggling in silence. Like they think they are. Absolutely. So that's wonderful. I mean, we could talk, the whole rest of the time on just mental health in the church, but moving us along a little bit, you said you were in long-term uh, sobriety from um, substance abuse. Um, kind of just give us a, the, the elevator uh, version of, of your story with that. Okay. Well, uh, I grew up going to church. That was just something that we always did. But, you know, even though I was brought up in that environment, it didn't really save me from everything. Uh, the world was still there and the influences were still there. And so whenever a family member um, introduced alcohol and cigarettes to me, whenever I was 11 years old, uh, I went for it. And I continued that use on. And by the time I was 13 years old, I was smoking weed on a regular basis. And by the time I was 16 years old, I was a blackout drunk. Uh, I was an alcoholic already. And I just continued that behavior. And my father was killed whenever I was 17 years old. And that sent me on a deeper, darker, downward spiral. And it was around that time, it was right after he was killed that I dropped out of high school. And I stopped going to church. Because I figured, you know, how, how could a loving God allow something like this to happen? Mm. And it was a tough struggle. Um, I started selling drugs, uh, started selling weed, started selling cocaine, pills, whatever else I could come across. But I became my own best customer. 
And (laughs) by the time I was 18 years old, I was addicted to crack cocaine and that, and alcohol was my drug of choice. Hmm. So I used on through there until I was, I guess I was in my early twenties whenever I was finally able to get off of crack cocaine, but I still kept drinking and using pills and whatever else I could find. And I used until I was 30. And in between that time, I was, I was introduced to this woman who ended up becoming my wife. We've been married for 25 years now. Um, but I remember her telling me that she was pregnant and this was 17 years ago. Mm. And I knew that I couldn't allow our child to grow up in the environment that I created. So I knew something had to change. Right. Well, she said at the same time that, you know, we got a lot of things need to change. We need to start going to church. And I told her, yeah, you have a good time with that. And so, yeah, I wasn't happy about that, but I ended up going anyway. And I put these restrictions on it, but you know, what I found in my recovery is that the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. And that connection that I didn't have before is, is kind of what I found in the church family, that connection that I've been looking for. And so, you know, through that process and through them, I started being able to understand myself a little bit more. And I was actually asked to start a recovery program. And we've had a recovery program going. We've got it across the United States and in Brazil now. Um, and we've been doing that for about nine and a half years. So in that time, I went back and I got my GED, a degree in electronics engineering, worked as a radio frequency technician for a few years, Uh, went back to school again, got a a bachelor's degree in psychology and Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in school in the master's program for clinical mental health counseling. And what I do is now as I get to work with congregations and allow them to know how to deal with people like me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, you go into a church and you start telling them, Hey, I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder and impulse control disorder. They tend to freak out a little bit. Yeah. They're like, Whoa. But then they're actually able to see that I'm, I'm a person. Yeah. And I'm real. And I struggle. But I'm in recovery. Yeah. So when and you got so, sober, were did you did you go to a program or was it did you just was it just within the church? Well, I didn't know programs were available, mm-hmm. and so I, I did not go to a program. Uh, I needed one. I wish I would have had one, but I, I did not go to one. I, I kind of white knuckled it, um, and it was it was tough. It was so hard to do. Um, a lot of people kind of question, you know, really? Yeah, it was, it was so hard just to be able to go through that process. Uh, but it really was that connection that allowed me to find my recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what, uh, we, we love talking to people. I mean, me and me and Roger are, we're 12 steppers. Um, we've been doing celebrate recovery and other 12 step programs for years and years, but I mean, we both love talking to people 
who didn't get sober that way because we think there's plenty of different paths, you know, to, to sobriety that, that somebody can, can utilize. But I think they all incorporate some of the same main principles like connection. Um, and, and a lot of those principles, uh, you, you can find a lot of those tools that we use it to, to maintain our recovery and our sobriety are available in, in a church setting too. So that's awesome. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, yeah, that church setting, but also starting a recovery program that is 12 steps. I mean, I'm a 12 stepper myself. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I like to say that I got clean before I started my recovery. Um, it, mm-hmm. it was really whenever I started my recovery is whenever I got into a 12 step program and then mm-hmm. even started our own. Hmm, that's great. Well, uh, we, we've never actually talked to a, a mental health professional on this podcast. So one thing that we wanted to talk to you about was um, suicide. We've never talked to anybody. We've never talked about that on our podcast at all. And I know that that's something that you um, kind of help with the congregations with understanding that, that side of mental health and mental illness. And so let's, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about, let's talk about suicide. I know you have a lot of statistics that you can give us. And so what, what have, what has been going on lately? I I, I don't know the last few years, has there been an uptick in suicides? Depends on where you live. Um, In the United States as a whole, there has been an uptick Um, where I live in the state of Tennessee. There's been a little bit of a downturn actually, not by much, Um, but there has been a little bit of a downturn. Uh, you know, what we see in 2018, which is the latest statistics that they've released, is there were 48,344 people died by suicide in the United States in 2018. That's just that one year. Wow. Now, what we see, you know, coming from the state of Tennessee, we had 1,159 people die by suicide in, in the state of Tennessee. But one of the numbers that really staggers me is that for every one individual who dies by suicide, there are 25 attempts. Wow. And, you know, what, what we show is that over throughout the United States, there are over 1.4 million people that attempted suicide every year. My goodness. That's, so like that's a lot of hurting pop- people. That's like a population of a small state. It is. And 48,000, that's right up there with car accidents. It's higher than car, car accidents. Higher? Yes. Wow. So what ha, have the resources to help people who have mental illnesses that lead to suicide attempts, have the resources gotten better? Have they gotten worse over the last 10 or 15 years? Where are we at on that? The resources have gotten better, whether an individual is struggling with mental illness, whether an individual um, is struggling with substance use disorder, which leads to um, a greater likelihood of attempted suicide, or whether an individual has just become hopeless and sees no other way out. Um, The resources are definitely available, just a lot of people don't know how to get to them. Mm. So that's that's really the biggest thing, and that's why I like to be able to go out and, and talk to the congregations because in our state, it's the largest demographic within the state. So 
you know, we've had 1,159 people die by suicide in 2018, where we have uh, around 3.4 million people of faith within the state. And so if we take those numbers and put them together, what we see is there's almost right at 3,000 people of faith per every one individual who died by suicide in 2018. Wow. So if we can educate the faith sector, there's a lot of good that can be done. Now, if we can educate everybody, there's so much that can be done. Yeah. And so we want to educate as many people as possible to allow them to know that, to allow them to know what to say, what to do, and where to go for help. Because a lot of people just don't want to ask the question because they're scared of the answer. Right. So, so yeah, let's just talk about that for a second. So say somebody, we know somebody has maybe confided in us or or told us that they're having thoughts of hurting themselves what what are we supposed to do what are what are the the best practices as far as how to handle a person i mean i know this people there's people that get trained for years and years on how to do this but just cliff notes version like what are some best practices in handling a situation like that Okay, kind of Cliff Notes version of this, and I guess this really goes back to QPR, which is Question, Persuade, Refer by QPR Institute. Um, And what they say is first you question. And what that looks like is you want to make sure what the individual is actually speaking about. So whenever someone is saying, you know, I'm just tired of it, I I just want out. Okay, so are you thinking about killing yourself? There's the question. Mm-hmm. it's not an easy one to ask, but it's one that needs to be asked. And so whenever an individual comes to me and, and starts talking in ways that I think may be suicidal, that they have, may be having thoughts of suicide, I'll ask them, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? And sometimes that really gets them thinking because they've never really thought about it before. Wow. Yeah, that really is what I'm thinking but also they've never had the safe place to be able to say it either. Right. And so now in the safe place that has just been created, because I'm not judging them. That's one of the biggest things that I'm able to do is, is to be able to say, Hey, it doesn't matter what my beliefs are on suicide. My, my goal right here is to keep you safe for now. And so if I can ask them that question and find out how far along are they in this, do you have a plan? So first I ask them the question, are you thinking about killing yourself? The next I'm going to ask them if they have a plan. And then I'm going to ask them, well, well, tell me a little bit about what got you up to this point. And so again, in a non-judgmental way, I'm just having a conversation with the individual. It's a serious conversation, yeah. but yet it's still yeah. a conversation that they probably never had the opportunity to have. Yeah. And so in this conversation, I'm looking for for different ways. I'm looking for kind of uh, protective factors that may come up while they're talking. I mean, they may talk about their children. They may talk about their pet. They may talk about their parents. They may talk about something tangible that allows them to have hope. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there, there was several times in my addiction where I, I felt I had suicidal thoughts and it was those things that, those things that kind of prevented me from actually going through with it 
What? Because I I think for myself, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of people who are having suicidal thoughts, is that you think that everybody else will be better off when you're gone. And, right. And I think that was a delusional thought for me. And so when I really kind of played the tape out and realized, you know, I, I can't kill myself because it'll be my mom that finds me and I can't do that to her. And so, um, you know, that's kind of the thing that prevented me from from actually carrying and going through with. It. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. That's uh, I, I'm glad you're with us. That's, uh, you know, going through and, and substance use is something that a lot of times leads to suicidal ideation. And that's something that we have to be wary of. Yeah. You know, especially starting the recovery. Now we're having to deal with the issues that we haven't been dealing with before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it can be tough, but there again, the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite mm-hmm. opposite of suicide is connection as well. Yeah. Uh, we just need connection. And so, you know, after I had that conversation and I had that talk, I'll let them know, look, I want you to live. Will you go with me to get help? Will you let me help you get help? And then depending on the severity of what's going on, that will determine who I call. Mm-hmm. I can call the Tennessee suicide. Uh, I can call a national suicide crisis line. Um, they have a text line or I can call a mobile crisis or I can call 911 just depending on the severity of it. So, I mean, I kind of think a little bit like this is, is CPR. Whenever you're giving someone CPR, is that it? What happens after what, after you get someone CPR, what happens? They come back to life. They come back to life sometimes. <laughs> and then the the EMT comes and they get that individual and they put them in the ambulance and they take them off. So what I'm trying to do is I go through and I'm talking with the individual is keep them keep them safe for now until more professional help can come into play. Right. Now, that's one of the biggest fears that a lot of people have about entering into the discussion is they say, well, I'm not a professional. You don't have to be. Yeah. Just know the right questions to ask. Right. So give us those again. It was question. Persuade. persuade, Refer. Refer. Yeah. And the biggest one, really, I mean, to me, one of the most important ones is the referring one. You know, knowing that, like, I, I, I think whenever you're in a conversation with somebody like that, you're, you're thinking I'm responsible for this person living or not, but your goal should be just trying to get them to hang on long enough. Like you were talking about to get the professional help. Right. And And it takes a load off of you as far as responsibility. Absolutely. And sometimes that, that help may be a count sort of the next day. Uh, sometimes we may need to call in mobile crisis if it's something that is really serious and we need to get it taken care of at that time. Um, so it all really depends on the severity of the situation. My, my go-to is uh, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. And so that's a number that anybody can call if they have a, even a suspicion that someone is struggling with suicidal ideation or having suicidal thoughts. 
Well, that will be a number to call. Mm. And they can kind of walk you through the process of what to do. Okay. And then there's the other, the crisis line that somebody who's having the thoughts can call. Right. Um, well, they can actually call the suicide prevention oh, lifeline as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if you're with an individual who may be thinking about it, there's your number for it. If you're the individual who's thinking about it, there's a number for you. I mean, it, it's all the same either way. Right. Okay. That's great. And then I, I remember reading an article, I don't know, a few months back about the text, about people texting that and like the statistics were incredible how many people were texting um it, it, you know keep up with the modern technology or whatever but i could see how somebody might want to text instead of actually talk you know as a, as a way to be a little bit more anonymous uh and not feel so so out there but you know whatever means necessary you know and if you wanted to text rather than call, you could text help to 741741. Okay. That's great. And yeah, we'll put that, those that's numbers. the text line. Yeah, we'll put those numbers in the show notes too. Okay. So, well, that that's incredible, um, you know, that we do have more resources available um, now. Um, what do you... As, as far as going, going back to kind of in the church, mental health in the church... What do you think is do you do you see any trends like within the church that are troubling to you that you think could be actually leading to more suicides? I know it took a long time to say that question. Unaddressed depression, um, unaddressed anxiety is is some of the biggest things. Um, perfection, perfectionistic tendencies mm. is another, uh, that's huge within the faith community of uh, thinking they have to be perfect all of the time. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a big one that I've seen over the years, but yeah. depression, of course, individuals who struggle with depression are, are at a higher likelihood of suicidal ideation anyway. Mm. So those are really three of the biggest things that I've seen. Um, and really, want to allow congregations to know create a safe place for people to be able to say I'm struggling. Yeah. Uh, it hurts to hurt, but it's okay to hurt. Yeah. I mean, and the church should be the place that somebody who is hurting should be able to feel comfortable. Right. But oftentimes it's not. And uh, that's something that we, we need to strive and and work tirelessly, you know, to be able to change. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. I, I don't think we have somebody who's doing that same work in my state, but I wish we would. And I hope we get somebody who's who who will uh, commit to that type of work. But uh, it's incredible. Well, one way that we kind of close up every show um, is with the final four questions. And I think Roger sent those to you ahead of time. So we'll get, start, we'll get started with that. And we'll that'll that'll close us up. Here we go. Here's the first question. Can you name a book other than the Bible, movie, or a podcast that has changed your way that you look at an area of your life? Uh, the book that, that has really helped me over the past couple of years is something that I actually read to help other people. Uh, mm. But it ended up helping me more than anything. And it, it's uh, Dr. Fitzgibbons and Enright. And their book is uh, helping clients forgive. Hmm. 
And it really goes through different applications of, of how to help an individual find forgiveness within themselves for others, but also for themselves. Oh, wow. And so helping clients forgive has is, is really been huge in my life and allowing me to be able to, to, to extend myself grace mm-hmm. and, and to extend others grace as well. That's great. Number two, if you had a blank billboard to share advice with the whole world, what phrase would you put on it? I had a guy tell me this a while back, and it's stuck in my mind more than any phrase, any quote that I've ever had. And and this rings true so much. And you're going to laugh, but that's all right. If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> If you're going to be dumb, be tough. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. Number three, when talking about the 12 steps, what is your favorite step? If you have a favorite step. That was a tough one because I, I kept on going from three to 12, three or 12. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, being able to to turn my life and will over to the power of God as I understand him. That's huge for me. And it's huge for so many people because, you know, if I personally can't do that, I'm not going to make it to step 12 where I get to take all that. I haven't had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. And, and so they really, for me, they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. I know that that is a daily process of being able to turn my life and my will over. But I also know it's a daily process to be able to share what I've learned with others. Mm. Yeah, it's it's hard to to pick one favorite step for me. And then lastly, the final question is, how can people reach you? Well, you can reach me in a couple of different ways. Um, you can go to tn.gov and do a search for faith-based community coordinators, and that'll bring up all of us across the state. You can email me at jharper at pc4s.org, or you can give me a call at 615-603-9092. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for coming on the show and, and talking to us about what you do and uh, about the work that you do that we are so thankful for. That And, and there's there's thousands of, of people who who are, do the same type of work that, that you do. And um, it's just incredible that we, we have um, better resources to help the addicted and those who are, who are suffering from mental illness. And so... Um, just thank you so much for coming on the show and um, wish you the best. And if there's ever, ever anything that we can do for you, just, just give us a ring. And so that wraps up another episode of Soberholic podcasts and uh, go like, and uh, share our, our post on, on social media and you can leave us a review on iTunes. That would, that helps us to get the show out to more people. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm Jason. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.